Welcome to Farm Chica's fourth podcast focusing on, yes, wild yeast. I'm going to walk you through some really cool techniques in starting your own sourdough starter, talk a little bit about its history, and maybe end with a recipe or two. Welcome to Farm Chica, the podcast dedicated to providing a holistic model for promoting sustainable lifestyles and ways to engage in traditional methods of homesteading. Join me, Rene Delgado Riley, a native-born New Mexican, as I share how I respect Mother Nature through easy-to-apply tips that anyone can do. Through this podcast, I hope to inspire you to tap into your ancestral roots and live a more traditional, simple life that focuses on sustainability and respect to the earth. So join me as I share 20 to 30-minute tips that anyone can do. So let's talk about sourdough. What is sourdough? Well, there has a very long history, predates me and even my ancestors here in the New Mexico area. So sourdough probably happened by accident. Lots of cultures all over the world historically have had unleavened bread recipes. So places in the Middle East have naan and pita and there's tortillas and lots and lots of flat breads. However, in order to make it leavened, which is a risen bread, you need a form of yeast or baking powder or something to make that bread rise. So probably what happened back in the day is when someone was making unleavened bread, it may have been left out the dough and wild yeast formed and drifted into the mix. And then the resulting was a lighter kind of fluffy dough. And when they baked it, they realized, well, maybe we're onto something. This predates all the way back to even ancient Egypt. So all sourdough begins with a starter, which is essentially just flour, water. And you let that sit at room temperature and wild yeast in the air on the flour settle into the mix. And that fermentation occurs and the dough smells sour, hence sourdough starter. So when I started my sourdough journey during the global pandemic of 2020, aka coronavirus, I had to actually do some research because I really didn't know about sourdough. And technically, sourdough starter can be used in actually anything, not just sourdough bread, but you can do biscuits, cakes, brownies. I've used it in uh, scones. I mean, I've used it for everything. It can literally be used in place of any commercial yeast recipe. And looking back on the history, uh, looking at some of um, the experience in early America as well as out west, a lot of folks carried starter in their backpacks. Um, I even read that uh, some of the miners in Alaska, where it's really, really cold, actually snuggled with their starter and laid on it to keep it warm from freezing so they could make bread or it was held over their stove. So back then, sourdough starter was um, definitely an important uh piece of making bread. Um, It was important to have around. Um, Bread is easy to make, it's cheap, and it is filling in many ways. And so those carbs are very um, important, especially for our ancestors. About five years ago, um, when we were getting ready to build an Orno, an outdoor oven here on the farm in New Mexico, Isabella and I had taken a bread making class at El Rancho de las Condrinas, which is a traditional living museum, an old way station on the Camino del Real on the way to Santa Fe, New Mexico. 
And when we took the class, we got a little bit of history of bread baking back in colonial New Mexico. And what we found out is actually sourdough starters were actually passed down to families. It was actually in wheels. And a funny story at the Living Museum, because it was originally a place where families settled and lived, there had been, um, somebody had found something that looked moldy and smelly in in the back of the cabinet somewhere, and they ended up throwing it out. But little to did they realize that was actually a 100-year-old starter that had been passed down from some of the colonial families. So essentially, these starters, or as some people call them, sponges, they're passed down through families. They feed many people for generations, from friend to friend, from parents to children. You can keep your starter alive forever. And as we know, the Boudin San Francisco Bread Factory in San Francisco, California, actually has 100-year-old mother dough. And essentially, starters can be kept thriving for generations. And all it takes is adding water and flour. Yes, that's it. You don't need any commercial yeast. You just have to keep replenishing it, keep it stored, whether you want to keep it in the refrigerator, you can keep it on the counter. If you do keep it at room temperature, it needs to be fed more often. Um, And definitely that sourness um, is what makes it its prize sourdough. So bread making is old. Um, It predates all of us. um, And it's so steeped in our culture. Um, The development of commercial yeast didn't happen too much later. So actually all bread historically has always been sourdough. So as sourdough spread all over the world and became a part of our culture and bread baking, the downside is that sourdough and wild yeast requires a longer time to rise and ferment and create that fluffy bread that we all are accustomed to. And because of the demand on baking and the demand on having readily available bread, the detriment of wild yeast was no surprise with the development of commercial yeast as we see today. And actually many governments across the world, such as in the UK, began creating governmental bills in the 20th century, um, reducing hours that bakers could work in bakeries, um, which meant that they needed faster raising breads, hence um, using commercial yeast rather than waiting on wild yeast. So sourdough became more of a traditional way of making bread, but not something that was favored commercially. And the introduction and the demand for sourdough emerged in the 1980s, although there are many companies around the world that have been making sourdough and have starters that are very old, steeped in tradition, but not as common as commercial yeast. There are some theories that the reason why commercial yeast uh, became more popular was not just because of the ease and speed of the ability to break bread, but at the same time, the evolution of brewing and making beer. And so a lot of the same yeast that were used for beer uh, beer making were the same used for baker's yeast. And so it's definitely um, a theory to look back on and maybe evaluate and look good or bad. One of the theories behind why sourdough is so big in San Francisco is a lot of the early miners out in San Francisco carried their sourdoughs on their persons, um, similar to the miners in Alaska, to keep it from freezing. They kept it on them. And as a result, um, most of the bakeries in the area were actually making sourdough. And so hence the Boudin Bakery, um, having been founded the mid-19th century, is still doing um, sourdough today. 
So unlike commercial yeast, wild yeast is more resistant to acidic conditions than a commercial yeast, and this allows it to work together with that lactic acid-producing bacteria that helps the dough rise. And so this lactic acid is the found a foundation of any kind of fermented foods like yogurt, pickles, sauerkraut, kimchi. So essentially, as the chemistry behind this bread baking process in regards to sourdough is that starter ferments the sugars in the dough and it helps the bread rise and acquire that characteristic taste of very sourdough bread. I have read, and I don't know if this is true, but a lot of the sourdough breads that you find in the supermarket or grocery stores are not necessarily made with the traditional sourdough method. However, if you buy from a farmer's market or an artisan baker, likely it's going to be a true sourdough. And of course, Boudin Bakery um, still to this day in the San Francisco Bay Area still produces sourdough bread. So in regards to the nutritional properties of sourdough, its nutrition profile resembles that of other breads, but it does have a few special properties that make it more nutritious. What makes it more special is that fermentation process of letting the dough rise and using that starter improves its nutritional profile in several ways. So to get too into the science here, uh, most starters use regular grain bread flours um, that contain minerals such as potassium, phosphate, magnesium, and even zinc. And so sometimes the absorption of these minerals in the body is limited because there's something called phytic acid or phytates, which are considered anti-nutrients. And they kind of bind to those minerals and prevent your body from absorbing them. But because we're using a sourdough starter, which has that lactic acid bacteria, it lowers the bread's pH level, which helps degrade the phytates, which means it results in an ability for your body to absorb more of those minerals in the flour and bread. So in sum, your sourdough bread contains higher levels of folate and antioxidants than any other bread. And its lower phytate levels allows your body to absorb all the great things about consuming this type of bread. And another fun thing about sourdough, um, unless you're celiacs, I don't recommend this, but I'm just gluten intolerant. And sourdough bread contains lower amounts of gluten. And it has a large percentage of prebiotic and probiotic-like properties that actually help improve your digestion. So it makes this dough easier to consume and this bread much more nutritious for your digestive tract. Some other positives about sourdough is that that fermentation produces changes in the bread that may allow for better blood sugar control and actually improve insulin sensitivity, which is definitely important for anybody who has blood sugar issues such as diabetics, etc. So the bottom line of sourdough nutritional profiles, it's a great alternative to traditional baker's yeast bread because it has that lower phytate levels, which allow you to absorb more nutrition It also may be less likely to spike your blood sugar levels and make it an option for those who are monitoring their blood sugar. Um, It's worth giving it a try. And just remember, um, before I talk about how to make it, sourdough bread can be made from any type of flour. But do keep in mind, um, for those who have uh, gluten sensitivity issues, um, sourdough starters made with all-purpose flour would probably be much more tolerable than sourdough bread starters made from wheat, barley, or rye flours. So just FYI. And of course, if you have celiacs, I don't recommend this. Um, That's something that I would talk to your nutritionist about. So in discussing commercial yeast and wild yeast, why bother with wild yeast when we know it can be inconsistent, we know it takes time, 
when we can just go to the store and grab some commercial or baker's yeast? Why even bother? Well, it's the traditional way of baking bread. It honors our ancestors. And frankly, there's a lot of complex flavors and texture that comes from wild yeast, and it's truly amazing stuff. That flavor and texture you don't get from any other baked goods that aren't made with that traditional wild yeast. And although it can be fussy and finicky and it needs to be maintained and monitored and constantly um, susceptible to temperatures, acidic environments, and everything else, and takes a while to even just proof the bread and let it rise, it's still really a cool process to get involved in. So making a starter... The process of this is that essentially we're going to cultivate the wild yeast that comes in all forms around us. Wild yeast is present in flour. Um, It's present everywhere in the environment from the bowls that you use, the spoons. Your starter, wherever you make it, becomes your starter. So the sourdough starter in San Francisco, if I were to take some of that starter and take it with me to a different state, it would then adapt to that environment and become a starter from that specific area because it would be feeding off of the wild yeast in that environment. It's a living organism, and you can simply make this by combining flour and water and, like, let it sit. Now, a lot of us have been fortunate to have had starters passed down in families. For those of us who have not been as fortunate, we've had to make these on our own, and so our starter is ours, and we've had to just enable some of our own patience and just kind of wait for that process of wild yeast to form so we can then start using and baking with that starter. So on to the fun part. So all you need is a little bit of patience, a Pyrex or glass bowl, some flour and water, and you're set to start your sourdough starter journey. So in order to get started, um, you don't really need anything fancy. Um, Frankly, you don't even need a kitchen scale. I have a kitchen scale because I think it's more precise. And I believe that everything weighs a little bit differently. So, I mean, kitchen scales are pretty cheap on Amazon. They don't cost very much. You can grab one for 15 bucks or less if you really want to jump into the deep end on this. So for the novice, uh, we'll just give you some, I'll just give you some instructions on how to do this. Um, So grab your bowl. Grab a a quarter cup and fill that up three times with flour. Put that into your bowl and fill that quarter cup up twice with water and mix that into your bowl until you have a doughy kind of liquidy substance. Um, You're going to go ahead and wipe that spoon off, wipe the edges and cover it with saran wrap and you're going to ignore it for a day. Just put it on your counter. Well, to keep that yeast happy and kind of... um, Create an environment for that starter to be excited and get bubbly and billowy and create the frothy kind of starter that we know as sourdough. You need to feed that every day. And so the next day around the same time, with the same process, take that quarter cup, fill it up three times with flour, and then fill it up twice with water. Mix it in really nicely so you can get everything incorporated. And then ignore it until the next day. Um, Over a period of five to seven days, you should start to see bubbles. You should start to smell some stuff. It should be frothy. That is the active yeast coming to work, and that is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Once you can smell the sourdough, and once you can see that it's bubbly and frothy, that is definitely ready to be used. When I make a new starter, I don't often use it until about day eight, 
And at that point, I take it out of this glass Pyrex dish and I transfer it to a mason jar or another jar that I can cover. I set that on my counter. I bake pretty regularly, but if you're not going to use it as frequently as I do, you can stick that in your refrigerator and let it come to room temperature before you use it. Um, most recipes call for on-fed starter, so anytime that you use it for a recipe, you're going to use it on-fed, and then you're going to refeed it and replace it again and start the routine. So anytime you use that starter, make sure that you then feed it and give it some more life so you can maintain and make that yeast happy. If this is your first time making starter, I would suggest using all-purpose flour. It's definitely the most consistent. Uh, wild yeast is everywhere um, in that, and it's everywhere in every other type of flour as well. I just feel all-purpose is more consistent. And then because I'm gluten intolerant and I often don't even eat bread, it's not really in my diet, but if I do want to cheat every now and then, I make sure I use all-purpose flour um, just because it sits better with my GI. But feel free to use whole wheat, rye, or any other kind of flour that you feel um, suits your needs. I know that I've had some questions about gluten-free flours. That's not something that I've even emerged into. I've kind of briefly looked at it, so I'm not really an expert when it comes to gluten-free starters. Um, but I do recommend um, if you are having celiac issues that you probably just avoid um, traditional sourdoughs altogether. Um, depending on your climate and environment, sometimes when you need to feed that starter, um, sometimes the the three quarters of a cup flour and then the two fourths cups or half a cup that I use of water doesn't always um, make it to the right consistency. Um, so I often will use equal parts. It really just depends. I eyeball it. Sometimes I measure it. It really just depends. I've been doing it for so long that I kind of just recognize what the sourdough needs in terms of being fed. This is my new pet and I, I've learned how to take care of it. In terms of what we see online, if you Google sourdough discard recipes, you're going to find a bunch. Uh, King Arthur has some really great ones out there. But in terms of the traditional way of discarding, it's often recommended to take half your starter and bake or do something with it and then feed it. I don't really like to do that. I usually just use whatever my recipe calls for. It's not always half my starter, but it's whatever portion it is. And I just continue to maintain it uh, with that standard formula of three quarters of cup flour with a half a cup water. And that's usually my standard ratio that I continue with. Now on to what you can do with all this amazing sourdough starter. Well, I think a big... Um, failure of most people is they forget about it and they don't use it and then it can become moldy um, and you could technically kill it. So um, usually a little bit of mold doesn't hurt. Uh, you could just scrape off the mold. Um, that's not going to hurt you. That The good bacteria in the sourdough aren't going to make you sick, so you'll be fine. Now, if it does look orangey and red color, that's when it's probably about at the end of its life. And if you've neglected it and you see orange and red, I would suggest that you throw it out and just start over. But again, a little bit of mold doesn't hurt. Well, the most important recipe you can make is of course bread. So in order to make that awesome sourdough bread, you need the following recipe. Take a kitchen scale, measure a thousand grams of flour, place into a mixing bowl with 600 
to 800 grams of water, depending on the consistency you want. Uh, there's something in break, baking bread that's called hydration is really important when it comes to bread baking. So I like to do between 600 to 800 grams of water, depending on my hydration level. So closer to 800 is considered 80% hydration, which is going to be a much more sticky, liquidy dough, but that definitely comes out with the same consistency. It's whatever you feel comfortable baking with. I honestly prefer the 600 grams, the 60% hydration because it's not nearly as sticky and it's a little bit easier for me to work with. So if you're a novice bread maker, I would highly suggest this type of hydration. Um, I love my KitchenAid mixer. I throw uh, the 1,000 grams of flour and 600 grams of water into the KitchenAid mixer. I put it um, the dough hook on and I let it do its magic. I then uh, take my on-fed sourdough starter and I measure out 150 grams of that starter. I add that to the bowl. And then I add about 20 grams of salt. You can use garlic salt. You can use Himalayan pink salt, kosher salt, whatever salt you feel comfortable with. Even table salt is fine as well. I then let that mix up really good until I have a dough consistency. And then I let it knead for about 7 to 8 minutes, um, sometimes 8 to 10. I really just eyeball it. I want it to look like a nice piece of dough. Um, you can do this by hand. I honor our ancestors because damn, their hands must have been strong to knead the heck out of that dough. Thank God for my kitchen aid. Once that is mixed up, I take that dough consistency and go ahead and sprinkle just a little bit of flour into a large stainless steel bowl. I place the dough ball in there and I cover it with saran wrap and I let it sit for anywhere from 12 to 19 hours. I've even let it sit for a full 48 hours um, and it smells really sourdoughy and it's really fun uh, to bake that level of sourdough that's been rising. The more time, the better. Um, like I said earlier on, wild yeast is slower to develop and it takes longer to rise that bread. If you use commercial yeast, usually you only need about five minutes to proof that yeast. And then you let that dough rise for an hour or two and usually it's perfect in its place to bake. But when it comes to wild yeast and sourdough, you need a lot more time. And hence why you can understand why commercial bakeries began phasing out the wild yeast and opted for commercial yeast, but there's nothing like wild yeast. And plus it's a great survival bread. What are you gonna do uh, when you don't have access to yeast? Um, you have wild yeast, so it's a great alternative. So how do you bake that bread? Um, well, this is gonna require hearth baking. Um, you need a really high temperature in your oven. I set it for 500. Um, for those of us who don't have Dutch ovens, um, I've actually, I have a Dutch oven that I can bake in, but if you don't have one, a crock pot bottom works just fine. So you take that crock pot bottom, I usually line it with parchment paper, I put the dough in there, and then I score the top, and I cover it with aluminum foil, and I place it in that 500 degree preheated oven uh, for five minutes. And then as soon as that five minutes is up, I lower the temperature to 475, keep it covered for another 15 minutes. And then once that 15 minutes is passed at 475, I take that aluminum foil off and then I let it bake depending on where you're at. In Oregon, it takes 20 minutes after this point, but if you're at altitude in a place like New Mexico where I've baked it as well, it usually takes closer to 30 minutes, so a lot um, longer in terms of that baking time. Just watch it. Look at that crust. You don't want it burnt. Also, another trick to keep your bottom from burning because this happens in hearth baking is place a baking sheet under that crock pot bottom. Now, the same applies if you have a Dutch oven. 
Um, these are really great. Um, you do it the same way, line that, place the dough in there and put the cover on. And again, follow the same protocol, five minutes at 500, 15 minutes at 475, take the cover off and anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes on covered and you have your beautiful sourdough bread. Some things I've learned through this baking process is after your timer's up, I turn off the oven and then I open the door and let it kind of sit there for eight to 10 minutes. Then I take it out and I let it cool completely before you even, um, don't be tempted to cut into that really hot sourdough loaf that will mess with the texture, kind of let it cool down at least, you know, 20, 30 minutes before you actually um, break into that bread, just to kind of let it set. And it's really tasty and amazing and wonderful. I've even thrown in some green chili before. You can add whatever things you want to your bread. I've added uh, red chili powder and that's really tasty. So whatever fits your fancy, that's the standard ratio of making sourdough bread. Maintain your starter. Don't forget to feed it every time you use it. And this is your wonderful way to use your sourdough starter in bread, the traditional way. So because I'm generous and kind, I want to leave you with another recipe that is actually really popular um, is sourdough pancakes. And so what you do is this is a two-step process. So say you want pancakes right now. Well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait 24 hours. But really what you need to do is just plan ahead. So if you want pancakes tomorrow morning or tomorrow night for dinner, you got to at least do 24 hours in advance. And in order to make that overnight sponge, um, you just need a big bowl and you need to put uh, two cups of flour two tablespoons sugar, two cups buttermilk. And if you don't have buttermilk, just take the two cups of regular milk. I use almond milk and I add a tablespoon per cup of apple cider vinegar or regular vinegar to make it a little bit sour. And then one cup of your sourdough started on fed. You mix that in, cover it with saran wrap and let it sit for 24 hours. When you're about ready uh, to make your pancakes, about 15 minutes before, get your griddle all warmed up or your waffle maker, because these can be made into waffles as well, is with that overnight sponge, you're gonna add two large eggs, a quarter cup vegetable oil, or you can use four tablespoons butter. I usually opt for coconut oil just because I like it a little bit less fattening, uh, three quarters of teaspoon salt and one teaspoon baking soda. Mix that all in, and that's your pancake and waffle mix. Well, I hope you enjoyed Farm Chica's fourth podcast focusing on wild yeast and the fun that comes from homemade sourdough starter and all the fun things you can do with it. I just want to take a moment to thank all my ancestors and all our ancestors for even coming up with the process, and there's real value in getting back to traditional methods and it's a great way just to tap into your ancestral roots. So I hope you have a wonderful time enjoying this podcast. And I look forward to sharing some more sustainable words of wisdom with you.